everybody, and welcome to episode 107 of the Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hi. Curtis McHale. G'day. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and we have a special guest today, and that is Ryan Castillo. Yep, that's right. You want to introduce yourself really quickly for those who uh, aren't familiar with who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Ryan Castillo. Um, I'm a independent consultant out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. My company is called Challenge Accepted, and I've just recently started kind of blogging about what I've learned and how I got into freelancing and I guess kind of sharing the lessons and the pains that I've encountered along the way. Cool. So Mandy got you scheduled on here. We're talking about uh, finances and emotions. Do you want to kind of give us a little bit of an intro to that? I know you wrote some blog posts about it, and then maybe we can uh, discuss it from there. Sure. Um, the way this happened was I had written a couple of blog posts um, regarding just saving in general to prepare for freelancing. And the basic premise of the blog posts was that what you want to do is you want to separate your emotions from all your business decisions. And one of the things that causes a lot of anxiety for people is um, their finances. So I think the first couple of series of the blog posts were covering like how you can save in order to make a successful transition into freelancing. So are you advocating that people save up before they go freelance or is yeah. this something they can do after they go freelance? I'm advocating just to save in general, to, to always put away, you know, that, that basic lesson that we all learn as kids is to, you know, set aside that 5%, you know, for a rainy day or in the case that now that we're older for catastrophic situations. But for people making the switch, trying to get into freelance, one of their big anxieties is to let go of that salary, that consistent income. And then there's fear of like income always dropping or clients dropping when they start freelancing. So one way to kind of alleviate all that is to kind of have that war chest built up as you go along. Yeah, that makes sense. We've talked about saving on the show before. How does this square up with the, the discussion of getting out of debt? Um, <laughs> well, getting out of debt is, um, I guess it's a similar kind of problem. I, I'm not entirely sure of the context that was discussed with the getting out of debt episode, but I mean, the, the basic idea is when you bring in revenue or when you're bringing in income, you know, you want your, your income to go into separate buckets. One of those buckets is savings and then one is general monthly expenses and another of those buckets can be, can be debt and you can adjust, you know, the size of the bucket depending on, I guess, what's causing you the most anxiety at the time. Eric, I know that you're, you're, you're a lot of a saver. Can you talk about your approach to saving money? Uh, sure. So basically I have my business is separate from my personal stuff. So um, in the business, first, right off the top, I save 35 and I think I'm going to raise it to 40% of like gross revenue just so that's for taxes and so you don't get hit with the tax bill later on. And then based on that, if there's any money after expenses and all that stuff, I've put it into a savings account. And the the intention is to have kind of an emergency fund of three to six months of business expenses. And that actually includes my salary. And then on the personal side, like I pay myself a regular salary. So that's always a set amount every month, you know, regardless of how much actual business revenue I bring in. Um, and so on the personal side, I can count on that. And then we save, I don't remember the percentage because we're doing some different stuff now, but we saved up enough to have three to six months of personal expenses. So it, we kind of have a multiple tier way where if the business loses all its revenue, I actually keep, can keep drawing a salary for three to six months. And then when all that money is gone and say like my wife loses her job, we can still draw on our personal savings account for another three to six months. So we have 
you know, six months to a year of safety net of no money comes in and we don't change our lifestyle at all. And practically speaking, you know, if we both lost our jobs, my business stopped working, you know, we'd cut back on discretionary income spending. But kind of the way it worked, like I said, it's in the business that just, I socked away extra money. I have a certain amount of expenses I know each month and anything over that, I just, I put into savings or I'll use to kind of reinvest in my business if I have more than six months. So uh, was it last year? I think last year I had about 12 months of savings. So I took out some of it to kind of use for investments and do other projects for a while. Yeah. And, and that's the interesting point that I was kind of going with some of my blog articles was that when you have this cushion, when you have this war chest saved up, you know, when you have like kind of that, that fallback plan, it allows you to kind of make these decisions without any kind of anxiety. One of the examples that I gave was, well, if your back's against the wall, all your freelance stuff kind of dropped and you have no leads, you're likely to kind of just jump on Elance and take, you know, whatever contract is available instead of kind of picking and choosing and taking your time to find the next client. Yeah, that desperation is pretty awful, isn't it? Yeah, it's the it's the emotional roller coaster that, that everyone kind of talks about with freelancing, the ups and downs of it. And um, I guess kind of what I'm, I'm advocating for is, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You can, you can save up and once a client drops, you can work on other projects. You can take your time finding the next client. You just kind of have to plan a little bit ahead and, and just be a little smart about it. Yeah, I actually, just spent the last hour talking to a guy who's in the opposite position as like the client project have been dragging on. So he got first deposits, but not the finish. And he's got a bunch of debt and no savings. So has like no income coming in and none coming in for the next little bit and has not sure how he's going to pay his bills. And it's stepping back to the point of actually having savings, you know, a month ago or two months ago would have saved him at this point. Yeah. And actually I'm kind of at that, not that place, but I'm at a different place right now where uh, I guess last summer. So, you know, six, nine months ago I had extra cash. And so I kind of took time off from client stuff and worked heavily on learning about different topics I was interested in and wrote, two and a half books and basically now like I've sucked a lot of that money out of my savings to kind of pay for keeping my life going keeping the business going and now like I just I want to work with clients and I like started my client services back up and I have savings there so I don't have to jump right in and like you said go to Elance or Odess and try to find any kind of money I can I have a few months of savings in my business to kind of find the good clients for me get my marketing up to where it should be and all that and while it's stressful that I'm like you know taking money out of savings it's not as stressful as, as it would be like I have a mortgage payment I haven't made so what do you tell the person that is kind of living at the edge of what they're earning so they don't really see that they have much margin to put money away into savings that's actually a tough problem I think you guys interviewed um, Brennan Dunn a couple episodes ago and uh, I guess his um, ideas are to you know raise your rates to get the most value out of your clients. And for me, when I was kind of encountering that, that edge, I was doing it with kind of like an, an hourly rate. So what I would do is I would kind of still, I would have one full-time client, but I would also take one on the side. But with those clients on the side, I would kind of bump up my rates a little bit to kind of build up that, that cash flow. So if it was someone in a full-time job, you know, what I would tell them is like, hey, take a, a client, you know, part-time, get, get your feet wet and direct all that money, all that extra cash to a savings account. If it's someone who's already freelancing, what I would say to them is like, um, or the first thing that I would ask them is, 
are you tracking your expenses? Are your expenses kind of going up and down month to month or is it, is there a con consistent medium? And once you kind of have that data, you can kind of start to look at into budgeting and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't advocate for changing their lifestyle too much. I just advocate for having data to kind of back up their decisions rather than basing them off of emotions. I think the biggest thing that I see is that people need to get on a written budget. They make plenty of money. They just spend it on like $3 coffees lots of times a day, which is not bad, but they don't budget for it. So then they spend way more than they expect. Yeah. Or people get into the freelance world and they don't pay themselves a salary. They just take out all the revenue that's coming in rather than taking out a consistent amount, um, amount month to month. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of personal finance budgeting. All that is, you know, you're over, overspending your expenses and you know, you can even do that in the business. Like, do you really need a new Mac every year? Do you need a new iPhone? You can cut back a lot of stuff. And I have kind of a regular task that every quarter I audit every kind of subscription expense I have. And I have a certain level and I make sure all of my expenses each month get below that level. And sometimes it means like I'm going to have to cut a, a service that is mildly useful, but it's just not worth the money. Yeah. And um, sometimes the other thing that you can do is you can just find um, a really good accountant. Um, so one thing that I, that I did was, uh, after the revenue started coming in very consistently and I was comfortable with the salary that I was paying myself, I hired an accounting firm and I paid a, a bit of a premium for them, but they've been really good about kind of helping me come up with a budget. And now, like, for instance, if I wanted to buy a new iMac or something like that, I look at the budget and see, okay, these are the things that, you know, I typically spend, or these are the things that I've spent on in the last several months. These are the buckets, um, that have, you know, excess money, you know, now is it time for me to buy a new iMac or do I have to wait a couple of months until those kind of buckets fill up a little bit more? Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have tips for figuring out what kinds of things you need to cut from your spending? Expensive yeah. ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing is, I'm not sure what the general practice is, but I advocate kind of having knowledge as to what, what your expenses are. Um, I use this old chart called Chatsky's chart, and this was for personal expenses, and this is kind of how I got into all this. It subdivided all my expenses into um, life expenses, home expenses, automotive, um, general debt, and savings, and it, it had a, a percentage for each expense. And it kind of it kind of gave me a baseline of like, well, based on on my income and these percentages, this is how much I should be spending on each of these things. And once I had that knowledge and then I actually looked at what the actual things were, then I could kind of start cutting off things off the top. Like, oh, well, you know, I eat out, you know, a lot. So maybe I'm $200, $300 over like the, the life budget. Well, maybe I can cut, cut down on, on eating out a little bit and, and stuff like that. And then there's something I've done. I just pulled mine open. Uh, I've been actually doing it for seven years. So I think every year I've been freelancing at stuff for like the first because it's a couple of months. But I have a spreadsheet that's, um, it's basically an income statement if you know finance and accounting, but it has revenue and then different expenses like the top level categories. And then it has a calculation for how much to save for taxes, what my business profit will be, and then it kind of has an estimate of how much I pay in taxes. But I've been using that for seven years and usually around December, I fill it out and I say like, okay, here's what I'm planning on. Like based on last year, I spent this much on hosting, this much on contractors, all that stuff. And then I write it in this spreadsheet and, you know, group it out for the monthly stuff. Like some things like government fees only happen once a year. So it's only in December or whatever. 
And every month when I finish a month, I actually balance my books and update this sheet. And so I can actually track in real time, like, okay, here's what I projected the year would be. And here's what it actually is. And I can see like, oh, look, I'm spending too much on hosting this month or too much on phone stuff. And so I can actually take that data and kind of adjust what I'm doing. I found that having kind of what normal people spend on categories hasn't been useful to me just because I'm not normal. Like all of my expenses basically go to hosting and training education for my business. Like I spend almost nothing on eating out, nothing on travel. Um, and that's just because I've been watching it for, like I said, the six or seven years and kind of seeing the patterns of how I work and how my business is. Yeah. And, and that's, that's actually very important. So when I mentioned Chatsky's chart for my personal expenses, I use that as the initial step. Then after that, after the first, I guess, six months of using that, then I started to notice the patterns like, oh, well, I don't follow these strict percentages. My percentages are a little bit different, but if I know how I'm spending things, then I know you know, where to cut things out. And then I just brought that over to my business. Like you said, you knew you spend on hosting, but not a lot on, on traveling and eating. I kind of started to notice similar patterns with my stuff and was just able to use, I guess, those constraints to make better business decisions. But to go back to the, the idea of if someone's kind of at the edge and they don't have any money for saving it's a hard way of doing it, but one piece of advice I heard is if you get paid, whether it's freelancing or like a full-time job, take like 10% or 5% or 15%, whatever you can, whatever you can, like it's where it's kind of reasonably a little painful to put away and put that into savings from your paycheck and basically don't let yourself touch it and force yourself to live off of the remaining like 90, 80%, whatever it is. I've even heard advice go so far as to change it so like your paycheck's are deposited into your savings account automatically, and then you pull out a set amount, you know, the 80% of your paycheck, and put that in your checking. So if you get like overtime pay or a bonus, that goes into your savings account. You don't actually even see it. Yeah, and there are a ton of like different tricks like that. I think one trick that we, my wife and I tried early on when I was um, making significantly more than she she was, is we directed all of my income towards our expenses and we directed her entire income to just savings. So that's one way of doing it. But if, if you have a spouse that doesn't work, you know, there's no money there. So that's just one extreme. Another extreme of like the simpler way of going through things like without like big changes is, you know, for, for every paycheck, you just start off simple. You start off with something not as painful and then you keep on, you know, bumping that amount each time. So let's say for you get paid every two weeks, you know, maybe start with something like 20 bucks and then the next week you just increment it by five or by 10 and then eventually you'll find yourself kind of not relying on that, that little bit of money anymore and you know you just have to find out like kind of what works best for you and just kind of experiment on you know how to save and just remember the pains that i guess and anxieties that not having savings are, are causing you and that'll be a little bit of a little bit more of motivation to save when you're saving your money do you actually have a separate account you're transferring money over to yeah, for, for my business, what I'm doing is money comes in and I think Eric kind of said that he, he saves 35%. Um, I do, I do about the same. I do, I'm a little bit more conservative. I go 40 to 45 just because this is actually just my second year of, of being completely on my own. So I put aside 45% or I think 40% as soon as it hits my bank account and it goes from my checkings to my savings for the business account and I just label that as taxes and savings. And so far, that's 
um, enabled me to build up quite the war chest. Yeah, and I yeah. do the same. We have, or I have a business checking, and then I have two business savings accounts. One is for tax, one is for emergency funds. And so that way it's separated. I can see at a glance. And then on the personal side, it's um, similar, but we don't have tax savings and personal stuff. So it's a checking account and then a separate savings account. And then, you know, normal piggy banks for change. Yeah, that's what we do. I, I save 30%, but then I round up. So 30% of my normal weekly weight is uh, 900 and I just make it a thousand all the time. So, I mean, I guess you guys are all kind of seasoned savers. I mean, we haven't really gotten to the, I guess, the emotional part of like the finances and, and, and running a business. Do you guys notice the difference when you're kind of getting closer to the edge as like how anxious you feel? Have you found like the amount of savings you need to have in order to feel no stress at all? Or have you kind of figured out that number? For me, it's six months, which I'm just working back up to after taking some time off for the new baby we had in January. Uh, six, we do six months in the business and three months personal. Um, and not of expenses. We do it of like full income. Yeah. And for me, three is kind of the, I can, I'm okay. Like there's no additional stress and six is like, I'm happy go lucky. And I, I feel like I can take more risks and I can be a bit more daring in what I do in my business. And see, yeah. I'm still working on this. So I, I need to get better at it. I'm working on getting better at it, but we got pretty deep in the hole last year. And so we're just kind of getting out of it now. Yeah. And we were there a few years ago. We had, a bunch of personal debt and everything and buckled down to pay it off and started saving. And I ended up owing the, not the IRS, the CRA, but same thing, IRS in Canada. And they had, um, I ended up owing them 10 grand at the end of one year and not having it, which sucked. Yeah. And another thing that I guess one of my friends did, him and I actually both went into freelancing at the same time, but he wiped out his savings because he had a medical emergency right before he, he got to freelancing. And he knew that he had to go into freelancing um, just because of his circumstances. So what he actually did was he put all his initial, like, I guess, first several months of freelancing expenses on a credit card. And even though he took a hit because of interest, it wasn't affecting his, you know, reduced savings. So that's another way is, I, I mean, I, I don't advise to kind of like build up your debt, you know, to a, an unmanageable number, but that's just another trick. You know, you can just... Instead of wiping out your entire savings, you know, to zero, you know, you can always push it off to, you know, something else like a credit card. You yeah, gotta, credit cards are terrible. Don't. Yeah, and you, but you, the the trick is, it's like you just got to be sure that you're you're paying enough, you know, or either pull like what I try what what I try to do with with my credit cards is um is I always pay the full amount. Uh, I always pay the amount I spent the previous month. But if I can't make that happen, and I understand a lot of other people can't make it happen, you just try to, you know, maximize the amount of pay you pay so you don't, you know, occur too much interest to the point where you're kind of just digging yourself more and more into the, into a hole. Yeah, the math on most people using credit cards, and I'll say up front, no one has ever told me that they're this these people, but 80% of people spend 12 to 18% more on a credit card, even if they pay it off every month. That's like going to get milk is $5 in Canada. If I take buy a chocolate bar, that was a 20% increase in my cost. And most people spend that with a credit card. Not, although anyone I talk to always says no until they've tried not having a credit card for a while. Yeah, and they are the worst. Like I remember when I started college, you know, all these kids, you know, have their, their freedom. You know, it was just like a nice time feeling free from your parents. And then right as we were walking through campus, you would just kind of see 
the credit card people ready to like pounce and give these kids credit cards so they can start occurring debt and, you know, making them money. So yeah, they're, they're, they are pretty terrible though. I also really think it's funny the people that they have to have their credit card because they get miles or whatever. The math on that is if you spend the, tw- if you spend only 10% extra, so you're conservative, you usually could buy your flight twice instead that- of having the points if you save that 10%. So, like I said, I have never talked to someone when I say this who says, oh, that's totally me. I have talked to a lot of people three months later who dropped their credit card. And I had a friend who is basically only spent 25 instead of $100 because he went to cash instead. And after doing the math on that for three months, said, okay, this is stupid. I will never use my credit card again and <laughs> cut it up and never use it. I've talked to lots of people three months later that are those people that said I do actually spend it, but I have never had an initial conversation with the 80% of people. It's never anyone I talk to somehow. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the interesting part about all this. is, And this is kind of how I try to drive my business, is that I try to base everything on data. You know, I try to do the math. I try to run experiments and make sure that, you know, my business decisions are, are based on data rather than, you know, how I'm feeling that day. You know, I, I could be having a terrible day because, you know, my kids didn't sleep. And my goal is to kind of like separate myself from that in order to make, you know, the right decision for my clients or, or for myself and savings and um, all these finances. You know, what I've found is, is as, at least in the first couple of years of doing this is that that is like the, the number one anxiety. That's the number one kind of thing that will throw my emotions off. Like if I have like a huge check come in, I'll be like ecstatic. But if I have no money come in, you know, I'll feel like my world is like caving around me and I'm, I'm sinking in quicksand. So we get freedom from this. We, you know, we, we tend to take less risks. We don't get into trouble with debt. Are there any other major benefits for having savings or even minor benefits? What's funny, like one minor benefit is the other guys talked about the six month runway. I'm not sure about anyone else, but like sometimes I just like look at, you know, my accounts and I just, you know, I'm, like I said, I've, I've, I've just been doing this for a couple of years. I, I take it as like a, a major win to kind of look at those accounts and say, wow, you know, everything just kind of fell apart. You know, I'd be okay for six months or seven months or, you know, whatever the number of months. And, and, and that's something I actually tell my wife also because, you know, this, this can all cause your spouse quite a bit of anxiety as well. You know, I tell her like, Hey, you know, all the clients didn't work out. If everything kind of just went away tomorrow, we'd be okay. And, you know, that, that's just kind of a huge morale booster for someone who's, who's on their own. Now, one of the freedoms I love about having savings is I do budget for like new computers every so often. But if I was to drop, like drop and destroy my computer one day, I wouldn't even sweat it. I'd just go buy one. And because I have the savings to just go do it, right? To top up the budgeting that I have if I don't quite have enough for the new machine. And it's nice to know that. Yeah. And I've had that happen where my old computer just it completely crashed. And so I was able to like, I overnighted the parts where the shipping cost more than actual parts. And I mean, even now, like, I would be out maybe a day or two for my new computer to arrive, but it wouldn't be a, I'm out for weeks and I don't know how I'm going to replace it. Like it's the, the cost of the computer isn't the concern. It's the lost time now. Yeah. yeah for me, I just walk down to whatever, probably future shop. Cause there's no Apple store locally and buy the nicest laptop they had there. If that's what I was replacing and not, not sweat it. And, and the other thing someone else mentioned earlier was not only does it enable you to kind of, feel okay in case anything catastrophic happened. But, you know, what if something simple happened? What if you were just feeling burnt out? Or what if you decide you wanted to work on products for a little bit? You know, having these savings kind of can give you the freedom to just say, hey, I, you know, I'm going to take, 
you know, I know I have six months in the bank. I want to take a month break. I know it'll probably take three weeks to a month to find a client after that month break. Well, I can do it you know, like without kind of blinking an eye. The only thing I really have to worry about is like how to break apart from my, my current clients. Yep. And I've done that um, probably half a dozen times now, like for, you know, a couple month break or this last one, it took like a five, maybe six month break. And yeah, it's just, you know, make sure to start back up. You won't give yourself enough lead time to find a new client, you know, get paid and all that. But that's, I mean, that's simple math. Once you know those numbers, it doesn't really change that much. Yeah. And um, I did the same thing. I, I actually took some time off when my, my second son was born and then my wife had some, some exams that she had to prepare, um, to prepare for, for. So I took, um, another couple of months off for that. And, you know, everything, everything just worked out, you know, and, and a lot of that was, um, cause I had some savings in place and I didn't get too anxious. There was definitely some anxiety there when coming back to, to freelancing, but it definitely wasn't as bad as it could have been. And that's, I mean, it, another kind of side of that is not so much taking time off for yourself, but if you're basically running at redline, like you're spending everything you're bringing in and you know, you're working, like you have a full deck of clients. If something happens, like you, you don't have the flexibility to do anything versus if you had some savings, then you might not need to take on as many clients. Or, you know, if you're like my daughter got sick for a week one time and I had to take the time off. And if I was running at redline working with clients, I wouldn't have been able to and we would have either had to hire someone to watch her, which would have cost us more, or I would have had to, you know, crash and work all through the night while my wife was working through the day. But because of the savings and because I, you know, wasn't running a redline, I was able to just say, yeah, I'm just not going to work this week and moved a couple of commitments around and everything worked out. Well, I've used mine even when I've been like started a project and realized the client's terrible to work with and just given them a whole refund, right? I don't need the money anyway. So say this is a bad fit. Here you go. Here's a hundred percent refund. Here's all the work I did. You should need to find someone else, which my contract has also reserved me the right to do. And that is, I mean, that, that there are so many benefits behind that. It's not that move in itself, not, not just from the perspective of like, Hey, getting rid of bad clients. It's such a good, good thing for your brand that you're willing to do that, that you're willing to actually give clients money back to, to ensure their happiness. Because what that is, is that's a saved referral for later on. You know, hey, the relationship didn't work out between you two, but that doesn't mean he's not going to refer you to someone else. So that that actually ends up kind of being potentially either um, like a multiplier, like rather than, you know, a straight loss from that engagement. Have you guys also seen, I guess, how your finances um, and I guess your emotions affect your rates as well? Uh, not so much my rates, but the quality of specifically the marketing and stuff I do. I got some advice a couple of years back of never write or create marketing materials when you're in an emotional bad place, like if you're upset, sad, depressed, or anything like that. So, you know, if you don't have money in your bank account, you're emotionally in a bad place and you're not going to be able to market as well, which means it's going to be harder to get clients. And, you know, it's a cycle. I've seen that for me. I haven't seen it affect rates because I have a consistent rate. Um, but on the other side, having savings and all that, it lets me kind of adjust things. Like I could raise my rates if I felt like it. Um, like kind of like what Curtis says, like I don't necessarily need every client so I can kind of drop people through pricing myself out of their budget. Yeah. The thing that I've seen is that it's kind of a, along the same lines of, as what Eric was saying in that I tend to get more hours in. I tend to get better work done when I'm, I'm not in that freak out state where it's like, I don't have any money in the bank and I don't have any work. The other thing is, is that 
you know, if I'm stressed over stuff, then I, I tend not to get the work done as well either. And so it's it's nice to have at least that peace of mind because I've got some money sitting in the bank that I can uh, kind of fail over to if I need to. Yeah, so that's interesting, the overwhelming stress feeling. So um, besides savings, like where I've really kind of applied these concepts are to how I do rates. So initially what I was doing is I was billing clients hourly and um, I was taking on, I think, two or three clients at a time. But I kept on finding that I was getting to that kind of emotional red line where I just felt overwhelmed to the point where um, it was borderline um, burnout and I just didn't want to do anything anymore. So what I decided was like, well, what is causing me the anxiety? What is, you know, what is keeping me away, me away from my family? Well, it's, it's these hours, all these hours that I'm trying to, to accomplish for all these clients. So what I did was I just switched to weekly for one client. I said, well, let's, let's try weekly. What I'll do is you can pay less than the total number of hours you kind of average for me usually, but we'll just focus on the actual work that I get done for you, the, the actual productivity, not the number of hours that I'm clocking in. And by doing that, that kind of reduced some of the anxiety for me. So now, now I've pretty much switched all my clients to, to weekly billing instead of hourly. I love weekly billing too, and I do that, but I'm not sure that's the magic bullet for lots of people. I know like most people who are not on a written budget, switching to weekly billing is just putting flowers on a stinky thing. Like oh, it's no, still no. stinky. <laughs> you don't have a budget, so you're still going to keep spending it. So it's a little less stressful, but you need to step back much farther in budget and have plan your expenses for the year and all the other things that we've talked about already. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I guess what I'm advocating for is like, there are no magic bullets, like having savings, you know, going from hourly to weekly, none of that is kind of going to solve all your, your emotional distress. But what can is kind of just being introspective and just kind of finding the best things that work for you. You know, for me, it was Chatsky's chart. For someone else, it was having this same like high budget every year for seven years. You just got to kind of have to keep on experimenting and find um, the right set of, I guess, circumstances or parameters that, that'll work for you and kind of optimize the most happiness in, in your business. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting to me just how much it really affects you to have this kind of thing hanging over you. And, uh, you know, whether it's I'm in a client that just doesn't seem to be working out or whether, you know, I'm stressed over money or anything else, you know, it, it just it makes a huge difference. Well, I mean, when you think about it, if whether your stress is coming from bad clients or money problems or you're just getting started like you don't know stuff, like all of that, it's all stress. And as far as the human body knows, it responds to that just like a tiger chasing you. Like your body doesn't know the difference between you worrying about not eating next month versus I have this abusive client. And so... In any of those things, when they start kind of getting out of hand and getting beyond what you can control, it starts affecting your life. Like, you know, your health will start going down, your work quality will go down, happiness goes down. I mean, everything just starts getting worse. And it's a it's a vicious cycle. It starts feeding on itself. And, you know, that's you'll end up like with burnout or, you know, those kind of really extreme situations. And kind of knowing what works for you and being able to kind of head it off or at least recognize that, you know, this aspect, this part of my life isn't quite right. That's an important skill and you have to kind of grow that skill and kind of be able to step back and actually look at the bigger picture. Yeah, that's so true. Like 
I'm not sure if this is how everyone else kind of runs their business, but I can't advocate enough of just try to experiment with everything. You can experiment with your rates, you can experiment with how you budget, you can experiment with the kind of clients you take on, how you bill them, you know, the kind of work you take on. You just, you know, just keep on running experiments and kind of like take notes and be kind of introspective or have little retros after each of each little experiment to kind of determine, you know, what works best for you. Yeah, I kind of like that. It's the same approach as like agile or lean startup, depending on how you want to spin either one, where you uh, you try something different and then you uh, evaluate the result. And, and doing that with life, it kind of makes sense. So one other thing that I'm curious about, and I've talked to a few people who have had this problem as well, and that is how do I get my wife on board or how do I get my husband on board? With regards to savings? Yeah. My yes. wife got me on board. When we started the whole like debt, paying off all our debt and saving, she said, hey, read this book. And I said, eh, okay, she is totally the saver. I am the spender. And I think that's that's one thing to identify is maybe identify if one is one person is you know more of the spender and one person is more of the saver in the relationship. I can't remember exactly how my wife and I got into this, but I think when we did marriage counseling before we got married, there was like a whole section on, you know, finances. And I just, I think naturally we realized that, you know, I was always looking at numbers. I was always looking at our receipts and all that stuff. So that my role naturally became the role of, of the saver in the relationship. But I guess it's just communication, just getting on the same page, kind of, again, like coming up with, I guess I would say data, like saying, okay, well, this is how we're running. We're, we're running kind of hot. Like we're, we're spending more money than we're bringing in. You know, if this continues, you know, we might, we might have to sell the house or move into a apartment or something. Or if we can set aside this amount of money, you know, maybe we can head all those kind of disasters off. But it's just, um, it's just like with clients, you know, just, just keep the conversation lines open and kind of try to empathize with, where your spouse is coming from and kind of paint the pros in, in a way that she or he will understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Eric questioned me in the back channel about us having savings on both sides. And it's as I said to him in the back channel, it makes my wife feel safe, which is why we do it that way, right? Why we have three to six months in the business and personally, because that's not, if we were saying $100,000, then we're starting to maybe push what is a reasonable amount. But if you're, you know, if I say 10,000, my wife says 15, 15 it is, it's not that big a deal, right? If I say 10 and she says, you know, 70, then we have to have more discussions around what the proper number is. Well, let's say one thing you need to be careful. Don't rely on just data. I mean, you, some people, like I am a data person, like I do the finances, I do the numbers. And so I can be persuaded with data, but not everyone can be. And you have to kind of remember that. And like my wife, she, the data like interests her, like, yeah, you know, if we lose a house, that, that would suck. But what's more, not persuasive, but what works better and she can actually understand better is the emotional aspect. So it's not so much the we'll lose the house. It's we'd have to move back in with your parents and you don't want to move in with your parents and have to deal with that every day. How stressful would that be? You know, kind of the emotional side of it. And so I guess she didn't really get on board with the budget so much as we, we found different reasons to do budgeting that worked for ourselves. Like for me, it's the data. It's the seeing the numbers go in the direction I want for her. It's the having the life she wants feeling comfortable and safe with her finances. So she doesn't have to worry about them. And so I think you have to find kind of what triggers each person in the relationship has and figure out, okay, how can we address that trigger? Or if, like Curtis was talking about his wife, you know, I know 
she's a, a heavy saver just having that money in the bank's going to make her feel better so their budgeting needs to account for that and i think it's you know it comes down to communication it comes down to being open and not making it like a struggle like you're trying to pull someone along a path but make it where you're both going along it yeah you know the big word for that is like throughout your entire description it's just being empathetic you know empathy and communication is just kind of seeing the world as they see it and trying to to paint a picture that makes sense to them yeah and even when we started say our budgeting stuff i didn't really care but my wife did so i said okay and just bought in i still hate budgeting all the time i'll admit that <laughs> my wife does it and she should my wife does my business budget i hate it all the time but it is useful to her and i understand that it is useful to my business as well so I let her do it and follow up with it and talk about it, but I despise any of it. I don't like it. And that's another thing that I've done these first two years is I try to take tackle on like all the heavy lifting with the business, like the accounting, like reading the legal documents, kind of like just educating myself. But when it gets to a point where it's just too painful for me to handle, that's the point where I start to delegate. So that's kind of another way that I, I use my emotions to kind of drive off, like, you know, business things. Yeah, so I have to admit, I'm not very good at budgeting for the business. How different is it than just budgeting for uh, your household? I don't do a monthly budget, but I know that I need to, like, we sat down and did all my expenses for the year, right? So I have my budget. I need to save X number of dollars per month to have my new laptop, right? Or every two every two years, I look at replacing one of my desktop or my laptop. So I need to save that all the time, right? I know what my expenses are. We check in on it uh, every couple months. My wife and I sit down together and make sure we're on track on the spreadsheets to hit what we expect. But we don't do it regularly. Yeah, it's kind of the same. I mean, I do. I don't remember what it's called, but where I don't have hard budgets for each category. I have a. I don't want to spend over this amount, and that's why I do the kind of a yearly review to kind of figure out what my averages were and use that as kind of like, I'm going to project, I'm going to be around this, but if I'm high, like last month I was high on travel because I pre-purchased some airline tickets that are going to be used later. But I don't, I don't care about it. I don't need to budget for that in my business. I know that it's going to come out later on because I'm not going to buy something that I thought I would need. And so I just look at like, okay, here's my amount of expenses I have. Here's the categories I'm going to probably use and just use that as a rough guideline. And then, like I said, every quarter I go through and do an audit and just kind of drop stuff that I don't need or that's too expensive. Yeah, and that's something that I think my accountant told me that that I didn't realize is you don't want to get bogged down in the details. You know, you don't want to get bogged in, into the details of the daily transactions. When, when you're looking at all these numbers and things, like whether it's for personal or whether it's for, um, you know, your business, you just want to look at the high level over you, whether that's month to month, whether that's quarterly, whether that's year yearly, you just want to just have like kind of a high level overview. But, you know, regarding your, your initial question, Chuck was to me, I budget the same way for my business as I did personally. And that's kind of why I feel like this transition to running the business has gone smoothly for me. It's just because I brought all the lessons that I learned with budgeting our personal finances over to the business and uh, just kind of um, use the same concepts. I'd say if anything, at least for freelancers, business budgeting is a lot easier. You typically have a lot of regular transactions like every month, like subscription services or stuff like that. Um, you might have a couple big ones throughout the year, but that's the bulk of your budgeting versus like personal, like you're going to have groceries, gas, you know, little things here and there. And so the sheer volume, I mean, I think 
personally, we have like 10 times more transactions a month than we do on the business. And that's, you know, that's just because I don't have to get a lot of things. Like, you know, I don't go out for a lot of business meals or luncheons and personal stuff. It's like and anything you buy is going to fall into that. I know when we looked at my budget, you're just talking yesterday, wanting to go to a, like a $10,000 conference around business stuff for myself. And my travel budget this year does not match that. So cutting back on travel this year and kind of rolling some funds over into next year is our plan. As far as budgeting, we didn't sit down and do the math like specifically about how much needs to go roll over, but making sure there's a few thousand dollars left this year and then spending next year on it. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have tips for being able to cut stuff out? I mean, I guess you just cancel the service or whatever, but making stuff up. I'll give you an example of what I mean. So, for example, when my wife and I started looking at our budget, we're using You Need a Budget, YNAB, which is some software out there that that works pretty well for that. But we found out every time we've tracked it, we've you know we realize, hey, we eat out at restaurants a lot more than we ought to. You know, so I've done some things. I went and signed up for all recipes. In fact, I'll probably pick this on the show. But uh, you know, you can actually put together a meal plan and then it'll give you a shopping list. And so then I just go to the store and I buy stuff. And then if I manage to make dinner, then we don't eat out as much. Other things that you can do in your business or in your personal life that will help uh, offset some of that? I yeah. found moving to cash was the best thing, right? I talked about it last on one of the last shows where I put $75 on a Starbucks card every month. And once I'm done, that is my business expenses for Starbucks. I cannot spend anything else. So moving to cash for groceries, we had friends save, like, they were spending $800 a month and they got it down to 400 by spending cash in two months. They got cut that much out of their grocery bill. And it was stuff they just didn't know where the money went to. Yeah. For one thing, though, like, with personal stuff, it can be kind of hard, especially if you have a spouse, because usually what this translates to is kind of like a lifestyle change, like in your example, Chuck, where... You know, you say, oh, wow, we're eating out way too much. And then you try to come back to your spouse and say, um, well, maybe we should eat less. And then there's, you know, their reaction is like, why do we have to go out and eat less? You know, you know, why do we have to do this and and all those things? So that's, that's a little bit harder. So I haven't found really good tricks for that. For the business, what I've looked at is when I've taken this, you know, month to month overview, I'll just look at things that I just don't use anymore. Like, for instance, I was running out an office um, and I was discovering that I was only going in like two or three times a month. It was a, it was a co-working space office, like office space. So then I just kind of dropped that. Or um, I subscribed to a lot of things like there was Destroy All Software before and Railscast and all those things. And I, I discovered that I really wasn't watching as many of the Railscasts as I was the Destroy All Software. So I just you know stopped subscribing from that. So I guess it's just kind of looking at the high-level overview and finding the, I guess, what I would call the easiest wins. And, you know, I guess if I was to bring this back to the personal side, you know, maybe the easiest wins for me wouldn't have been, you know, eating out less. Maybe it would have been like not buying a video game once a month or something like that. I I don't know. I I haven't really looked at the personal stuff as much lately since I've transitioned to the business, but I guess that would be one thing. Well, it's, it's a value thing. I mean, like we've had the same problem. Like I've told my wife, like we need to stop eating out as much. We're spending a lot of money there because personally, I look at eating out as just another way of getting food. You know, that's, that's all it is. But from my wife's perspective, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, where you have to know the person to understand. She looks at eating out as a social thing, as a going out as a family and building connections to the people you're eating with. And so, 
you know, I would say like, yeah, this mill's not worth $25 because I can make this at home for five bucks. She's looking at this mill is worth $25 because I now have a stronger bond to my family. And so what we came to realize is after we like looked at it from that perspective is, yeah, we might be spending a lot going out, but that's the value we're getting from it is so high that it's worth it. And so we just decide like, okay, we're not going to look at that budget. Let's just go look at some other, another thing or another place. Like maybe because we're getting the social connection from eating out, maybe we don't need to have as much of an entertainment budget or something. Yeah. And the thing to do in that case too, is to say, say it's going to be a hundred dollars a month, right? And then just don't care. You can spend the full hundred dollars in a month. It doesn't matter. And that's gives the freedom to the spouse or to the other person to spend that money and you don't have to worry about it and you, you know, cut somewhere else instead, but puts a cap on it so that you say as the saver don't feel like we're just overspending all the time on this one thing. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, like, like you can apply that to your business. Like if I've had services like training stuff, screencast software or whatever, where it's a recurring thing every month and I wasn't watching it. So the value I was getting each month was effectively zero and the cost was 20, 30 bucks, whatever. And so I canceled them. And training is one of my bigger budget items in my business. And so there's always a lot of cruft I can take out of that. And the biggest thing is with training, like a lot of the investment is actually dollars. It's time. So even if you spend a couple hundred dollars a month on training, you might not have the time to consume that. And so I kind of realized this a couple of months ago and really like looked at everything I was paying for and like, okay, this might give me good value, but I actually am not using it. And so I've reduced a lot of my expenses there by like focusing on maybe one or two different products or programs or whatever that I'm actively in. And when those aren't valuable, I'm going to cancel them and then move on to something else that's going to have more value. But it's the idea of not worrying about grabbing everything and hoarding it, but just kind of what do I need just in time? Yeah, that makes sense. All right, anything else that we want to add to this before we uh, begin to wrap up? Uh, I guess one thing I'll ask is, I mean, is this for you, Chuck, like, I guess since you're you're on the other end, is this like all kind of overwhelming or does this like, help or what kind of things are you kind of finding out of this? For the most part, a lot of it's stuff that I'd already heard and I'm pretty comfortable with a lot of the concepts. For me, it's just figuring out how to be disciplined enough to do it. And so, you know, I, I kind of have to attack things one at a time is the way that I usually manage it. But the fact that I have actionable things that I can go do. So, for example, I can think of a couple of subscriptions that I don't use anymore. I can also think of a few things that, for example, I have a server on Linode that costs me a whole lot more than it would cost me on DigitalOcean. And so I could actually migrate all of the data on the one server over to the other and things like that and find ways to cut back on what it costs me to do things. You know, the big things that I spend money on in my business are usually related to the podcasts. And so I need to look at that and figure out what makes sense to be paying for at one tier and what makes sense to be paying for at another tier. Be that, uh, you know, the different uh, things that I do. I think I have a pretty, I have a pretty good handle on that already. You know, I, I offload a lot of things to Odesk, and then I have Mandy doing the things that I really feel like she needs to be doing, you know, to speak to one expense that I have. But, you know, to revisit that and really, you know, know that I'm paying attention to it makes a lot of sense. So it's not overwhelming. I don't really get overwhelmed anymore because basically what I usually wind up doing is uh, I'll attack things from the standpoint of, you know, this is what I think I can accomplish and this is where I'm at, and, 
you know, just kind of figure that out from there. So then I just prioritize things, and if I don't get to it, I don't get to it. And I know that some of this stuff is stuff that I have to do, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I only have so much time in a day, and certain things are definitely going to be more important than other things. So if I have to push it off, then I'm just going to have to push it off. But yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with a lot of this stuff, so... Well, and you got to like respect the amount of time investment because especially if you're billing your time, like that's an indirect cost. Like today I had a couple domains that were renewing and so I ended up, I'm not going to renew them and it saved me 30 bucks, but it only took me about five minutes to log in and check some checkboxes versus moving a server. You know, you might save 50, a hundred, maybe even $200 a month. But if that's going to take you a week's worth of work, that yeah, might not true. be the best way to cut your expense. And one, it's kind of financial advice I heard, like, sometimes, like, look at your stuff and evaluate it, but sometimes it might be better to work and put your time into actually increasing your income instead of cutting your expenses. Because no matter how hard you cut your expenses, the lowest you can get them is zero. But if you work really hard on the income side of it, there's no limits. So, you know, if you made two or three times the amount that you're making now, a server expense that's, you know, twice as high really is like a drop in the bucket at that point. Yeah, that's true. I guess that makes sense. You know, going in and canceling the subscriptions that I have is going to take me all of a couple of minutes. But yeah, moving that server over is probably going to be kind of painful. It also helps to have, I guess someone put put this to me pretty elegantly, and I, I guess I didn't really understand it until most recently, is they said that the role of, I guess, financial advisors are are more of like psychologists rather than people telling you where to put put your money. Their role is just to like objectively look at your money and say like, hey, this is where you should do this or this is where you should do that, you know, without all the the emotions and the baggage and, you know, but, you know, kind of speaking to you, Chuck, I I guess like I, I definitely understand like the overwhelming weight of trying to do everything and, you know, things just fall through the cracks. And, you know, it sounds like just you've got the right perspective. It's just kind of getting those little wins and just, you know, keep on moving in the right direction. Yep. And I honestly think that like some of these things become habits. So, and then the other, I want to talk a little bit more about that too, in the sense that, you know, I, I tend to put things into my uh, calendar. And so I have, I have things in my calendar or in my to-do list, one of my many to-do lists that uh, basically prompt me to do things at certain times. And so one of them is, is on Friday, I go into all recipes and I you know, I, I just, you know, I find a handful of recipes, I print off the shopping list, and then I make sure I go to the store, you know, Friday night, Saturday morning, or even Monday morning, and make sure that I have everything lined up for that. And so if I can make a system out of enough of these things, then they just happen. And so, you know, the things that we're talking about here with budgeting and just being on top of the, you know, what I'm spending and where I'm spending my time and things like that. And a lot of this comes out of getting things done. But, uh, you know, I just make sure that I get that in the 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 schedule, and then um, I just make sure that I, I evaluate things and schedule the time to evaluate things. And uh, so this is really just going to go into my calendar for Friday, and it's going to be, you know, look over the subscriptions and see which ones I'm using, which is going to be not many. And then I'll go cancel the ones that, you know, it, it'll either be, okay, put in a regular schedule to go watch the videos off of it or give it up. And if I'm not willing or able to put it into my schedule, then I can cancel it. And just doing those things, scheduling time to do the budget, which is something that, that I've wound up having to do. 
my wife, if you're familiar with the Dave Ramsey terms, my wife is the nerd and I'm the free spirit. In other words, she would more typically be the saver and I'd be the spender. But she hates budgeting worse than I do. So that's kind of something that I have to go ahead and do. But at the same time, then I have the information so we can sit down and say, you know, how, how do we feel about this and where, where are we at with it? And uh, we can have those conversations and make those work. But if I don't put them on my schedule, they won't happen. And so, uh, you know, really, if I can make a system out of that, if I can make a system out of some of the things that I'm doing that are going to save my business money or my, you know, my family money, um, it's the same thing with putting away the 35 to 40% you guys are talking about, right? It's a system. The money comes in and you don't think, you just transfer. And so, you know, just doing that kind of thing is the kind of thing that, that makes a difference. Where it's it's so automatic that, you know, it's it's not really a decision anymore. And and, right. th- and then it just happens. Then it works. I think if you kind of have to trip over it here and then remember to do it there, it's just, it, it won't work. Uh, at least for me, it won't work because I, I have to I have to make it deliberate and I have to make it a habit. Well, and the habits are an important thing. Like I've mentioned in past shows how every week I, I call it balanced finances, but that includes balancing a checkbook, paying bills, um, if I have to move money around, whatever. And that's a habit I've been doing for years now. I don't even remember when we started it, but I know why we started it. It was because we put everything on our credit card for our personal stuff and pay it off every month, you know, because we're getting cash back. So we're effectively getting a little discount. Well, one month I was kind of haphazard with paying bills and we were like a day late. And so we actually got charged an interest because we were over that, um, over that you don't have to pay interest period. And it was like 20, maybe 30 bucks, but that was painful enough. And it's painful to me to know I thought I had the discipline to never pay credit card interest and I made a mistake and I got charged it that I basically did that weekly habit. And since then it's been on autopilot. Like I know on the weekend, this is what I'm doing. And I know the reason why is because I'm trying to avoid paying bills late or getting to a week and realizing I should have transferred money earlier. Now I have to scramble to get it together for like a tax payment or whatever. And now that it's a habit, it's like, it's no brain power. It's no decision making ability. I just, I have to sit down and do it. And because it's a fully ingrained habit now, I'm actually able to change it. Like I, we started doing a budget. So I put a little bit of time into add this new task to that habit of, you know, balance the budget. And it takes, you know, a couple minutes to do, but it's now a new thing that we're doing and it's improved across the board. And so, yeah, if you can get a habit for any kind of financial or any kind of business related thing, like that's, it's just going to be an improvement across the board. Yeah. The other thing that I've noticed is that I can't fix something that I'm not aware of. So I just, I need to track it. And, And we've talked a lot about that, but that's what your budget does for you. If you're keeping your budget or keeping up on your budget and you know where you're at with relationship to it, you know where the money's going, you know where it's coming from, then you can you can start to fix any problems that you have and start getting to the point where you have the the freedom and peace of mind that we're talking about with having savings in the bank. And I think at the same time, you need to be kind to yourself. Like if you are like you don't have this stuff set up or you're making mistakes, you know, yeah, address the fact that, you know, you need to make changes, but don't beat yourself up about it especially if you, you know, we're talking about how finances and emotions work. Like, you know, it's like if you're beating yourself up because you're sad, you're just going to make yourself even sadder. So, you know, acknowledge that, you know, you might have a problem or there might be something going wrong and just work towards fixing it. Don't try to dwell on it. Yep. So that's that's an awesome point. Well, I feel like there are things I can do better, but at the same time, I feel like I've got a lot of strategies 
from you guys that will help me move ahead with this stuff. So I'm excited. So uh, and let's go ahead and do the picks. Eric, do you want to start us off with the picks? Sure. So this one I actually picked, or I didn't pick it, but I found it a while ago and didn't even realize, but it actually relates to this episode a lot. It's a post by Seth Godin, which you probably know by now. I read his blog like every day. The title is, What Does It's Too Expensive Mean? And it's a, a blog kind of about pricing, value, all that, but kind of relating that to finances. It's actually a pretty interesting thing to think about. And it's, it's, you know, it's very subjective. You know, it's the idea of, is a $2 bottle of water worth it to you? Well, would it be worth it to someone in the desert? So it's a, it's a short post, like most Seth's posts, but it's really good. It kind of makes you think about it. Very nice. Curtis, what are your picks? I'm going to re-pick the Total Money Makeover, which I picked at some point long ago, because it put me on a proper path to budgeting and finances. Cool. So I'm going to pick... It's funny, Mandy gives me a hard time sometimes about picking the same thing on multiple shows, but I do four shows in a week, so if it's cool, I'm probably going to pick it. So one thing that I'm going to pick... Uh, well, I'll pick YNAB, uh, You Need a Budget. It's it's a really handy program, and basically what it does is the one issue I have with it is that it doesn't directly import my bank's information, so I actually have to go and download a, a QFX or a Quicken file and then import it in, but after that, then I can categorize all my expenses, so I just need to do that periodically, and it's not a terrible process, but there you go, and, and my bank actually keeps track of what's gone on since the last time I exported from them. So all I have to do is go in and say, I need a Quicken file, and it'll say, you want this account? And I just check the account, and then it has the, the last, uh, it knows where it left off, so it doesn't duplicate the transactions. And then YNAB will actually sync over Dropbox, so that's pretty handy as well. One other thing that I've been playing with lately, uh, there was a talk at Mountain West Ruby Conference last week, and I want, I'm going to pick something from one and something from another. The first one was um, uh, Ryan Davis gave a talk about the users group. And the users group talk that he gave basically talked about the way they do things up at Seattle RB. And uh, the interesting thing was that he talked about that they get together every week. And uh, they have a study group and then they have the hack night. And so I actually organized something like that here. If you're in Utah, <laughs> please come. Otherwise, go watch the talk and get some ideas for um, how you can get together and, and do stuff. I'm doing the meetup down here at a Starbucks that's a few few miles from my house. That will probably change because I'm sure there's a better venue for it. But Starbucks has Wi-Fi and it's pretty close to public transportation. So that's kind of what I picked. The other thing that, uh, that I'm going to pick is I found... So there was a talk. It might have been at the JavaScript conference. I don't remember for sure. But they talked about iBeacons. And somebody mentioned that you can actually make an iBeacon with a Raspberry Pi. And so uh, uh, I'm going to put links in for all of the stuff that you need for uh, iBeacon Raspberry Pi. And the article that I used to set it up, I'm still playing with it and, you know, trying to get it together and to work. I just have all the pieces sitting on my desk right now. I haven't actually plugged them all together. But it seems like a fun project. And I have a couple of ideas of things that I would like to do with iBeacon. And so, anyway, I'm looking forward to playing with that. So, those are my picks. Ryan, what are your picks? Yeah, so my first pick would be uh, Mint.com. I think there was a, a different OS X app, OS 10 app that I was using when, when I started doing all this budget stuff. But 
Um, Mint.com is something, it was just a web app that I was using to get my, I guess, my initial feet wet in, in budgeting. Um, it allows you to specify all your credit card and bank accounts and it imports all the transactions and then you can set up rules to auto classify them. And once you auto classify them, then you can create budgets around that. So kind of give you a, a very high level overview of, of what your spending is looking like. Another pick is super simple, but I, I'm not sure if a lot of people are, are aware of it. On your iPhone, in the settings, you can actually use restrictions to turn off Safari. As someone who works at home and, and has kids, I kind of try to separate my work life from my home life. So I tend to turn off my email and, and Safari and everything like that when I'm with my kids and my family. It's, it's, it's actually uh, helped me have like more or better quality time with my family um, away from work. And... I guess for like a, just a fun pick that I've sprung up a couple weeks ago was that 2048 game. I'm not sure if anyone's picked that yet, but it's a really addicting game. It was written in JavaScript initially. If someone on the show listens and gets addicted to the game, you guys can ping me and yell at me at Twitter and I'll uh, come up with some kind of um, flow chart to help you guys beat the game. But what's been really cool about it is seeing all the responses to it because it was open source and it was written all in JavaScript. People have written like AI engines that try to solve the game. They've done implementations in said. They've done implementations in Bash. And it's really taken off. It's been pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely recommend checking that out or, or all the cool side projects that have kind of sprung up sprung up because of it. And uh, the, the last thing is the Wayback Machine. Um, as far as my business is concerned, sometimes I look to how other people that I admire and I respect another business that I admire and respect. And I, I use a wayback machine to kind of look and see how those business has, businesses have, have evolved over the years or their websites have evolved over the years. And I kind of try to question this or I try to put myself in their perspective or their shoes and question why they did the things they did with their site or their services and things like that and kind of use that, those lessons with my own business. So uh, I used the Wayback Machine for that. And that's it. Very nice. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Really appreciate you taking the time and uh, talking to us. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I really appreciate you guys having me. All right. Well, I don't think we have any announcements, so we'll wrap up and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum.